You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. We're glad you're here today. Uh, We hope you can come back in two weeks. We're doing this every other week schedule just to make sure we build a quarantine in between services while, you know, we all get vaccinated and safe. But next week, we do meet together just online. So we'll start that series online. I'm really excited for it. We're basically investigating those times where Jesus sat with people at the table, and he had some special things to share. Uh, and some, some amazing things happened as well. So we're, we're going to go for four weeks on that series, and I hope you can join us. Uh, I believe it will bless you. But today I have a one-off message. It's not connected to any series. Uh, it's just a one message for Easter because it is a very, very important and significant day uh, today. Uh, and I'm titling this message, Love and Fear, if you're taking notes. Love and Fear. For a person to thrive in life, for a person to grow And to become all that he or she was created to be. We have to understand that many of our choices and experiences and emotional health are connected to love and fear. We need a healthy measure of love and fear in our lives. Now when I say love, I'm not talking about lust. See, lust is the desire to give and receive affection for the sake of pleasure. For the sake of self-satisfaction. That's the love of the world. The desire to give and receive affection for the sake of pleasure and self-satisfaction. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the love of God. I'm talking about godly love, which is the willingness. The willingness to let go of selfishness and self-interest for the sake of your neighbor, for the sake of others, for the sake of family, of friends, of people you love, and even strangers out in the Dominican Republic who need water. Know what I'm talking about? That's godly love, caring for others for their best, acting in their best interests. And when I say fear, I don't mean terror. Terror is that feeling you get when you feel the anxiety and despair of danger, when your life is in danger, when you are in a situation where you feel insignificant or powerless because of the evil or the tragedy that you are facing. I'm talking about godly fear, which is that sense of reverence, that sense of awe, that awareness of our limits and our limitations, knowing that we are imperfect, that we're not perfect, and that if we are left to our own devices and we pursue our every single desire, we can do some serious damage, not only to ourselves, but to others in the world. It's that awareness that we need a Savior, that we need somebody to kind of direct our lives, to set up guardrails, to, to make us aware of when we are not acting right. Godly fear is that, is that knowledge that God is in heaven and that he is a just judge who's not just aware of our existence, not just aware of who we are, but he also wants to interact with us. And that he has expectations for each one of us that are good. And that it is good for us to live in step with his expectations. Because his standards are great. That's godly fear. So we need both. We need the healthy 
a measure of fear, which is the fear of God, the fear of the Lord that the scriptures talk about. And we need love. We need both. And love and fear will set the direction of your life. Even for those of you who are more cerebral and analytical, you will ultimately make a decision based on either love or fear. They determine how we relate to others, how we remember our past, how we set and see our future. Love and fear also shape our worship. Not only our worship of God, but our worship of things, of things we like, of people. And when love and fear is misplaced, when love and fear are placed on things that betray us, when we love what is destructive, whether it might be a relationship or greed or a bad behavior or a bad habit, when we fear the wrong things, like the approval of others or the loss of power, the loss of control, that's when life can get in disarray. That's when things can spiral out of control. So misplaced love and fear, misplaced love and misplaced fear is the root cause of so much damage that we see all around us. If you get to the root of it, it's because we had our affections on something that wasn't healthy or we feared something that we shouldn't fear. So if we're thinking about how to better our lives. Maybe you came here today because you need a solution for your life. Maybe you came here today because you want to celebrate Easter, but also you want to reconnect to God. You want something in your spirit to come alive. I want to, I want to ask you to begin with these two questions. What do I love? And what do I fear right now in my life? This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He said this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's why today matters. That's why today is so important because the life you are looking for, what you are searching is found in the resurrection. It's found in the power that, that resurrected Jesus Christ. And all over the world today, all sorts of groups of people from all walks of life are fighting through this pandemic. Some in countries who are seeing the worst of it. Others in countries who are hoping that this, this is the last stretch of it, like ourselves. And they're gathering together in small groups, some online, some in buildings, to celebrate this day to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, to celebrate Easter. And of course, Easter is the day we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And the resurrection is at the center of Christianity. It's not just a significant event. It's not something that happened that we can kind of discard. No, resurrection is the cornerstone. It's the main thing. It's really what started this whole thing. And it's the, it's the cornerstone of a new way of life. For each one of us. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Basically, he's saying, if, if we don't believe in the resurrection, if the resurrection is not true to us, none of this is worth anything. It's not going to make any difference. If Christ is the cornerstone of a new kingdom... 
If we believe that Christ is really the difference maker, is the one who set a, a chain of reaction and change in the world since uh, 2,000 years ago, where we see the transformation in societies across the, the globe. If he is the cornerstone of this new kingdom, this new way of life, he is so because of the resurrection. That is the cornerstone. Now, when, when people talk about the resurrection, especially when you do it thoughtfully, there's always a pause. There's this, this pause that, that looms. Because could it be that Jesus really resurrected from the dead? Or is the resurrection like a symbolism? Is the resurrection a symbol, that a figure of speech to, to make us think of rebirth, to make us think of new, renewal? The idea that the resurrection is a symbol is a way to package the resurrection in psychological terms that can, and sometimes it can be good, but when we do that, when we think of it as a symbol, we're taking away the power of the resurrection. We're taking away the effect and the full effect of Jesus' life in us and in the world. And nowhere in the scriptures do we find the idea that Jesus did not resurrect in the flesh. There's, no, there's nowhere in the scripture you won't find it. It's not simply a symbol in the scripture. In fact, we see in the scriptures that the resurrection was shocking. It was controversial. And it was impossible because it confronted reason and it confronted logic. So when we talk about the resurrection today, I want to ask you, even those of you who are here for the first time and never really considered Christianity as part of your life, I want to ask you to have an open mind, okay? And to let your mind go there. Can we do that today? Can you let your mind go there all the way, have an open mind, and consider that Jesus actually rose from the dead? That he actually walked out of that grave? That he's, he actually uh, came back to life in the flesh? Because that's what it took for his disciples. That's what it took for his followers to fully understand the power and the effect of his life in us. That's what it took. So before we can receive uh, his ministry, before we can receive his life, before we can receive his guidance, we have to grapple with the resurrection. It starts here. It starts on Easter. It starts today. Now, if you've ever done that, or maybe you're not really, you know, somebody who's, who's been religious, but if you, if you actually really consider that, you might be conflicted. Here today, you might probably doubt, and that's a natural thing to do so if you really consider this because Jesus' disciples doubted the resurrection, every single one of them. And do you know why they doubt it? Because people don't rise from the dead, they don't, and when they do rise from the dead, we don't call them Lord, we call them zombies, and we run the other way because it's a scary sight. You don't want to see that. When we, what we find in the scriptures is that Jesus' disciples, every single one of them, they, have a very, they had a very normal reaction to the resurrection. They all doubted. And they had more reason to doubt than you and I. Because they saw what was done to him. They saw him get arrested. They saw the nails piercing his hand. They saw the crown of thorns being hammered in, and into his head. They saw, they saw him breathe his last breath. They saw the lashes on his back piercing 
through his flesh. They saw the spear going all the way into his heart and blood and, and, and fluid gushing out. They saw it all. And they saw him taken down to the cross and being put in a tomb. They saw it. So it was genuinely unbelievable. And their disbelief, I don't want you to think that I'm overstating here. Because it is registered in all four accounts of the Gospels. Matthew says this, Matthew chapter 28 verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. John Mark, who was Peter's apprentice and Paul's ministry friend, he wrote about this day. And he said that Jesus, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. I don't know if he wrote this here to kind of discredit her or to give her a testimony. But this is what happened after. She went and told those who had been with him. And as they mourned and wept, as they mourned and wept, that's when she went and told him. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. There's more. Luke, who was a doctor and a historian, and he took upon himself to take an account of Jesus' life and the acts of the apostles, the beginning of the church. So he wrote it down. He penned it. He investigated it. And he wrote the, de the, the, the story in details. And this is what he writes. Luke 24, uh, verses 9 through 11. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So there were more people there. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. John also writes about Thomas, one of the disciples, who said this. Now Thomas on the, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. The disciples told him, okay, we have seen the Lord. This is what he said. Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand into his side where the spear uh, penetrated, I will never believe. These were logical people. They were like, there's no way that it was Jesus that you saw. You must have been delusional. You really want him to be alive. You saw an impersonator. Who wouldn't want to impersonate Jesus? Who wouldn't want to be him? Clearly you guys are not in your right minds. He wanted the receipts. Here's what I'm saying. If you find the resurrection hard to believe 2,000 years after the fact, you're in good company. Because the people who were there didn't believe it. Those who were there found it really hard to believe. But what if it did happen? What if Jesus actually rose from the dead? What would have happened to those people once they were, they were convinced? What would have happened to the world as a consequence of Jesus Christ? being resurrected. I think it looks pretty much like what happened. Because I think for starters, the people who saw Jesus come alive, they would tell everyone about it. I mean, wouldn't you? If a video of a cat playing a piano <laughs> has reached houses across the world, 
Imagine what would happen if you had an iPhone and you saw Jesus. Straight on, on, on your story. Straight to YouTube. Well, they didn't have YouTube. They didn't have Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. They didn't have all that. But they did have paper and pen. And they did have the, the town square. They did have the neighborhoods. And that's where they went. And that's what they wrote. And that's what they told the world. That listen, he rose again. Not only that. I think that what would happen is what happened after. There would be a chain of events in the neighborhoods. So they went back. And they look into history books. He said, this, this, has to, he has, this has to mean something, not only for those who are here and for the future, but it has to have a meaning to the past. There's got to be some clue. There's got to be something in our history, in the books that have been written, in the prophets, that points to this day, this is too big. And this is what they realized, that experience and expectation don't always meet. Experience and expectation do not always coincide. I mean, have you ever gone to a restaurant and you open up the menu and you see that beautiful picture? The steak is juicy. The chicken is crispy. The tofu looks however tofu looks. I don't know. I'm just trying to be inclusive here. All of you tofu people. It looked delicious as you hope it would. And they bring the dish out and the steak is dry. The chicken is not crispy, it's soggy, and the tofu, you know, it's not good. It's hard to screw up tofu, right? But I guess they did. Have you ever had a situation like that? Or maybe you went on a date, you met somebody online, it was online dating, and you were so happy because his picture was cute. And then you got to the coffee shop or at the restaurant and you thought, my goodness, whatever happened between the moment you took the picture and now, life has been hard on you, my man. I mean, it's been hard on you. Tell me of the time when you used to be happy, right? Tell me of the time when life was good. Because right now, what I'm seeing, woo, you've been through some things. Expectation does always meet experience. And that's what they realize. Listen, we have been thinking about this all wrong because the resurrection did not fit the narrative that they were fed. The version of the Messiah that they had in their minds was somebody who would be like David. He would come and rule the world. He would come and defeat the enemies. He would come and put Israel on top of the map. He would come and in their reality would defeat the Romans. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus died. And he didn't even fight. He didn't even fight. He died without a fight. Jesus was at best a good guy who got devoured by the system. And the hopes that Jesus was the Messiah died on the cross. It wasn't just Jesus that died. Everything that they expected died on the cross. But here's what they didn't expect. They didn't expect Christ to defeat death. They didn't expect for that to be the fight. 
They didn't expect the Messiah to defeat death. That rewired the whole thing. Have you ever had a moment like that? When a little bit of, bit of information changes everything? I mean, you were sure that things were exactly as they were. But then the movie gets to the end of it. And Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Sixth Sense, eight, 20 years old. I think the spoiler alert is not going to ruin your life. But he was dead the whole time. And then you can't watch the movie the same again. Of course the door is not going to open, man. Of course she's crying on the couch. And Okay, I'm going too long on this. It's a good movie. Don't watch it with kids. The resurrection changed the meaning of everything. The prophecies, the lessons, the interpretations. It all needed to be revisited under this new revelation. And I imagine them thinking, wait a minute. Who was this guy we just spent three years with? I thought he was a teacher. I thought he was a prophet. I thought he was, he was the Christ even. But I, couldn't, I didn't think the Christ could defeat death. I didn't think, didn't think the Christ would walk out of the grave. This is, this is major. And as they re-examined their history and their heritage, this is what they discovered. The resurrection fit. It fit perfectly. It wasn't an anomaly. It was an anomaly for science. It was an anomaly for logic. But it wasn't an anomaly on the course of what history meant for them and where God was taking his people. I have a simple example for you. It's kind of a, 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 a you know, it's, it's a simple example. But I want you to imagine that You've never seen a lectern before. This is a lectern. Okay? And imagine that you've never seen a structure like this before. Now, imagine that you first see it not in this context. You see it in the middle of the road, dividing two lanes. You're driving your car, and you see a lectern. Well, we're not in, in England. So you're driving your car, and you see your lectern. And you look at it, and you go like, what is this device? Why is it? separating the road or maybe maybe you're walking down the street and you're and you're walking with your cup of coffee and this is on the curb and you go like what is that is that some kind of solar device you've never seen it before right or maybe it's in your kitchen you walk into your kitchen and and there it is and and you go is this some kind of crooked chopping board where you chop the things and and everything this could be useful I don't know what do I do with this you wouldn't know its purpose because it's in a different context now imagine that you walked in this room and you see this lectern right here you might not know what it's for but you can deduce it you look at it and you go oh it fits it fits within this context think about this room itself Right? You place it in this room, it fits. Because the lectern might be, might be hard to explain by itself. But within its proper context, it fits. The same is true with the resurrection. It might be hard for you to understand by itself. You might be thinking, did he really rise from the dead? But if you look around, what happened? What happened before Jesus? The prophecies. The Old Testament, what happened after to the apostles, how the church started, it fits. If you think about this room and you take away the lectern and you take away the seats, this is not a stage. This is just a floor. If you had these seats right here and you didn't have the lectern and you didn't have the, the stage, it would just be a bunch of seats 
weirdly assorted, pointing at a wall. But all the parts here work together, and it makes an auditorium. The stage together with the lectern, together with the seats. That is what the res resurrection is. You can't look at it just by itself. You have to look at it at the past, what it did, and what happened after. And i got to tell you, what happened after is the reason why we are here today. Because this is what Jesus said after he rose from the dead. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And can I tell you, we are at the ends of the earth right here, right now. Okay, because this came all the way from the Middle East, guys, before the West has, had even been conquered. And here we are talking about this. Do you think it worked? Do you think what Jesus said happened? Yes, it happened. Yes, that's why we're here today. That's how the church started. The church of Jesus Christ did not start with the board of directors. It didn't start with the governing body. It didn't start with bylaws. We have all that, okay? It didn't start with the article, articles of incorporation. It started with the power of God. And this power was the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this power is available to you. And is available to me. And is the power that Christ invites us into. To live every single day. To live with Christ is to live in this power. And people all over the world, billions of people across history, since the day the first, year, the first Easter happened, have connected to this amazing transforming power. They have found forgiveness for their past sins. They have found a new life in Jesus. They have found future and hope in the empty tomb. And here we are today doing the same thing. Year after year, people have experienced this power. For 2,000 years, they've been set free. For 2,000 years, they have been healed. For 2,000 years, they have been transformed. And we've celebrated it through famine, through distress, and through pandemics. This is not the first one. Humanity has gone through war. But one thing has remained true and persistent together with all the churches who meet weekly across the world. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive in us. It might confront you. It might twist your mind. But if you grapple with it, if you open your heart, you'll realize that this power is available to you. And you know what's at the center of this transformational experience with Christ? Love and fear. It's at the very center. Every single person who has a conviction about Christ, and you've met some of them probably, who has a conviction about Jesus being alive in their lives, they probably won't be able to explain you how the resurrection happened, but they can tell you how Jesus is alive in their lives. They can tell you about the power of God in their lives who delivered them from, from anxiety, that delivered them from past mistakes and, and guilt, that delivered them from addiction, that delivered them from different things. They'll be able to tell you. At the center of it is the power of God reframing our affections 
taking us away from things that we thought we couldn't ever be delivered from. Reframing our fears. Because that's what the resurrection does. It points our life in a new direction. In the direction of Christ. And it makes us live like Him. We become like Him. Loving like Him. Peaceful like Him. Strong like Him. Determined like Him. Full of conviction like Him. This is what Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if you have been looking for the new today, if you've been looking for a new kind of love or peace of joy and satisfaction, if you've been looking for something to reframe your affections, i got to tell you, the power of God is what you need. That same power. That Jesus shared with his disciples that has been alive with us today. And this is how love and fear come together in Christ's resurrection. If Jesus Christ were like any other person. If he acted like any other human being. Practicing sin. Malevolence. Evil. If he was a selfish person. If he had hate in his heart. If Jesus took advantage of others, if Jesus tried to get ahead, if Jesus was greedy, if that Jesus were to rise from the dead, how would you feel? Would you like it? I mean, you might be shocked and astonished at first, but I doubt that you would love him. You would fear him because that's some superhuman power. But you wouldn't love him. You wouldn't look up to him. Because you wouldn't look up to somebody who sins and cheats and curses and does anything like that. His resurrection might have caused you to fear him. But you would not love him. Now imagine that Jesus lived a perfect life. And he acted and dealt with everyone in a godly way. Perfectly. Imagine that he was the pinnacle of human decency and a perfect expression of love and kindness and strength. But he died on that cross and was buried in that tomb and stayed, alive and stayed dead forevermore. What would that mean to you? You probably think that he was an inspiration. You probably look at Jesus as an example, right? As many do. You probably post his quotes on Instagram and even love him as a model of human being. Even love the idea of being like Jesus. But you wouldn't fear him, would you? And remember, I'm not talking about worldly fear. I'm talking about that godly fear. You wouldn't revere him. You wouldn't have a sense of awe about him because he died. And that's why the resurrection matters. That's why the resurrection makes all the difference. Because you might have learned about Jesus. And that might have brought you here today. You might have learned about his ways and his teachings and his example. And perhaps you might even have come to admire and love him. But there's something missing. It's inspiring. But it's not life altering. It's compelling. But it's not convicting. And if that's you, what you're missing is God's power in your life. You're missing His power 
You're missing his resurrection power. And that's available to you. To reframe your love. To reframe how what you fear. To set your life in a new direction. In a higher plane. I've met a lot of people who love God, but do not fear him. And we need both. We need to love God and fear him. Met a lot of people that have no sense of reverence. No call to obedience, no revelation of his greatness, nothing. And that's because they have not experienced God's power. Listen, we're living in a new age. We're living in a new time. And I don't know about you, but we don't have time to play church. The world needs a church that is alive. The world needs a church that is connected to the power of God. The world needs people who know the way and show the way to others and say, listen, there is a better way than this craziness that's going on around here. There is a better way to to, to deal with one another. There's a better way to rise up above all of this nonsense and be the life of God in the world. Our world needs it. And that's the posture that we need. See, it was love and fear of God that caused the Apostle Paul to write this passage. And I'm closing right now so the worship team can come up. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It's coming up on the screen for you. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That's a religious and a racial separation that they lived through every single day. Barriers that the church broke in the first century. I want you to see this because you might think that we're living through an age that we've never lived before. And that's not true. The world has always been divided into tribes. The world has always been at war with each other. Because there's something in us that rises against ourselves. And if you look at the news today and you look at things that are happening around us, you might feel despair and you might look and think, where is the solution going to come from? I'm telling you, the solution is in loving and fearing the Lord. Because this is what happened to the church in the first century. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That's a huge deal that, 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 that Paul was leading his church that way. Racial separation, religious separation. There's neither slave nor nor free. That's class separation. The poor and the wealthy. There's neither male nor female. That's gender and, 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 and uh, social and gender division right there. Male and female. Social class and gender division as well. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you want to see things change in our communities, in every aspect. I just picked this passage because it's very relevant to what we're going through right now. And I don't want you to leave here inspired because you had a great Easter service at Connect Community. I want you to leave here, leave here changed, filled with the power of God to change the world in your communities, in your families. And it starts with every single one of us. I hope you have a sense of purpose today. Today is not just a nice day to come to church, have some chocolate and some meats. Because we're going to have some meats today, right, honey? I got some ribs in the oven, baby. 
This is a day that should remind you and reconnect you to the power of God. No matter if you just came to church for the very first time today, or you've been doing this, you've been doing this for your whole life, you need a fresh measure of God's power in your life today. The power of the resurrection, changing your life, changing your marriage, reconnecting you to your spouse in a way that you've never connected before, reconnecting you to your children in a way that you've never connected before, being a light in your neighborhood, disseminating hate and division and separation, political separation, racial separation, just bringing people together under this umbrella of the fact that we are all children of God and called into this new kingdom, into this way of life. So what do you love? Do you love your status? Do you love your position? Do you love the place you are in, higher, in the hierarchy in this world? Do you what do you fear? Do you fear embarrassment? Do you fear that you're going to lose social acceptance? What if this power is greater than that? What if God has the ability to to move your heart away from that and you can be free. What if we can all be free? What if we can all live in harmony and love? What if God can truly unite us and we can be a family under this umbrella that we're all children of God? I mean, who knows it all? Who knows? Who has all knowledge? Who has all power? We're all just winging it, man. From the greatest to the weakest. From the president to the person who cleans our schools and our offices. And, and the one who is unemployed. From, from the kings to the homeless people in our streets. We're all just trying to live life. We need the power of God. And I want to encourage you today to pursue it, to open your heart to the resurrection power because it's available to you to reframe what you love and what you fear. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Listen, I'm so glad that you came to church today. This was a good decision. You could have stayed home, watched TV, go to brunch. But you came to church. It matters. You know, it matters that you chose to honor God. It matters that you chose to connect to the life of God in you. It, it makes a difference in your life. And I believe you'll be better for it. I want to invite you to have a relationship with God today. To receive this power of Christ in your life if you've never done before. So I want to do something we do every week at Connect Community. And this is not to put you on blast or anything. It's just for you to say, God, I, I want to begin today. I want to start a relationship with you today. And this is about Jesus, okay? It's not about anything else. This is about you connecting to the power of Christ. Would you do that today if you've never done before? Or maybe you've grown cold toward God. It's been a long time since you've connected to God in a real way. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm done playing church. I'm done playing this life. I, I, want, I want the real thing. Would you do that today? With every eye closed, if you don't mind.
I want to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. And just to show God, Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me before men, I will not be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Would you raise your hand on the count of three and say, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you and begin today. One, you're not here by chance. Two, this is the day of salvation, the scripture says. Three, everywhere in this room, let me see your hands. Amen. I see you. I see you. I see you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I see hands everywhere online as well. If you're watching, this is the day of salvation for your life. Christ is alive and he wants to share his power with you. Would you mind praying with me? Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart right now. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit to change my life, to take me away from bad habits from hang-ups, from regrets, from bad memories, and free me, God, to live the life that you called me to live. I want today to be a new beginning. I want today to be a day where your life begins in me. So I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I will serve you from this day forward. Amen. Hey, listen. This is a great day. If you pray that prayer for the very first time, we believe that something new began. We encourage you to pray every single day. We encourage you to give us one year of your life. One year being committed, showing up on Sundays, connecting to others, and allowing the transforming power of Christ to change your life. It's not always going to be easy, but you will move forward. And I encourage you to read your Bible every day. Start with the, with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is a great book to begin if you've never read the bible before it tells the story of jesus if you don't have a bible we have free bibles for you just pick one up at the end it's free of charge you can get it we're going to have communion after this next song and then i'm going to pray for you with a final prayer so if you don't mind just reflect on what the message has said if you want to stand and sing you can if you want to stay seated you can as well but let's sing together amen